The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you run simple. Host and moderator Bonnie D. Graham talks with the experts about how game-changing technologies can help you achieve financial excellence for your company. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. I should have just said welcome, welcome, because we have two guests today instead of three. Today's buzz is at risk. Listen up, because you may not quite know who is at risk from what I just told you. So let's get started. Recent research and surveys suggest that enterprise boards of directors and CEOs want, need, and are urgently demanding more and better information on enterprise risk management. From whom are they asking for this? The CFO and the Office of Finance. Now think back to what I said, the buzz was at risk. We've got two levels of risk we're talking about today. This has become such an urgent cry for help, a plea for information, that some boards of directors are actually starting to exercise an oversight role. OMG, I'm not sure if CFOs are too happy about that. Here's a reality. Check. There's a serious gap that is persisting between what the CFO is actually delivering and what the business requires. A gap, a chasm, a spread. Can it be solved? And the question on the table now is, could this put CFOs at risk in addition to putting the business at risk? two important questions. And we have two important panelists who are going to help us find out the answers. So if you're a CFO, if you're a member of an office of finance, you really want to listen up. I don't, I can't say that your job is on the line, but certainly the role you're filling may not be the one you thought you had to fill, and you may need to figure out better, smarter, and faster ways to do the job that now is required of you. I rest my case. First up on the panel, I'm delighted to welcome Elvia Novak. She is a director of Cyber Risk Services at Deloitte. Lloyd, and a shout out to all of our good friends at Deloitte. And Elvia has sent me a quote from T.S. Eliot, the American poet who lived from 1888 to 1965, and he would probably be surprised to find himself on a show about financial excellence in the year 2015. Here's the quote, only those who will risk going too far can possibly find out how far one can go. Elvia Novak, welcome. How are you today? Good, Bonnie. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you so much for joining me. We're so pleased to have you on the panel. Talk to me about this quote. It sounds timeless to me. So how did you come to pick it, and how does it relate to our topic of CFOs, Office of Finance, and risk information all wrapped up? Well, I think there's a couple of points here. There are different levels of risk, right? And from my, the way I look at this quote, it's a can-do attitude. If you don't know how far you can go, then you're not going to go as far as you need to. So when I ask for information related to risk, I need to ask for information that I'm not used to getting, information that I didn't even know I needed up until I read a recent article related to a threat that occurred somewhere somehow. So I want to be able to get 
access when I need it. So you want to push your people to get you the information that you need. And for me personally, this is, I wouldn't take the risks in life that I've taken that have led me to where I am if I wasn't willing to take a risk. Isn't that interesting? I, I like the way you stretch the quote to risks in life. I think that's right, and that's why it's such a, a, a viable quote after all of these years. I don't know exactly when T.S. Eliot said this, but certainly if, if he died in 1965, it was quite a while ago. How many years ago is that? 35? That's 50. 50 years ago. My goodness gracious. So the question is... Um, are the CFOs in their offices of finance, are they aware of this? Is this, are we revealing a big secret, a well-kept secret, or is this something everybody's walking around scratching, pardon me, their green eye shades or, or their, or their, or jiggling the lamp in the back room and saying, yeah, things have changed. We better come up with better and more timely information. What do you think, Elvia? Uh, the way I look at it is risk is not a new topic. Risk has always been out there in the marketplace, depending on what business or what function or what industry you sit in. Risk has a different definition, but risk is always a risk, right? It's something that could go wrong. Um, and how do you mitigate that risk? How do you prevent that from happening? How do you get smarter, faster, and kind of be proactive about risk management? I think that is what is uh, pressing these days for most CFOs is that we're focused on our financials, which is great. We're focused on making sure we comply with regulations, which is required. But have we taken a step back to say what really matters to us from a risk perspective? What's critical to my organization? What's critical to my business? And how am I protecting that? How am I mitigating that risk? And how do I make sure that I'm being proactive about that management and not an afterthought? Not that I'm doing something after I've, I've already incurred the risk, right? Now I have to figure out the value associated with that risk um, and how to prevent it in the future. So I think it's really important that it become part of the day-to-day operation. So it's risk becomes part of what we do. It's just part of our processes. It's not a discussion that we have after the fact when something actually happens to us. Thank you very much. Good explanation and great intro to our topic. Elvia, welcome again. And let me bring on someone who is not in any means, by any means, a newcomer to Financial Excellence with Game Changers Radio. It's Bruce McQuaig. Those of you who are familiar with Bruce know he's got so many letters after his last name. I don't know how he fits them on the door of his office, but he's a B-C-O-M-M, C-A, C-R-M-A, C-C-S-A, and he's also Director of Solution Marketing for SAP Governance Risk and Compliance Solutions. There's a GR in there somewhere too. And Bruce has kindly sent me a quote from Russell Ackoff, who lived from 1919 to 2009. That's a long life. He was an American management guru and the Anheuser-Busch Professor Emeritus of Management Science at the Wharton School, University of Pennsylvania. I'm not sure how beer got into that, but sounds like an interesting title. Here's the quote, and the quote, you may you might need a beer to get through this quote. It's getting the right thing wrong is better than putting the wrong thing right. Most of our current problems are the result of policymakers and managers busting a gut to do the wrong thing right. Wow. Bruce McQuaig, welcome back. How are you today? I'm fine, thanks, Bonnie. How are you? I'm delighted. This was quite a quote. It was almost a tongue twister and inside out, but I think it makes a lot of sense. So why don't you tell me how we got Russell Ackoff on this show? He didn't die that long ago, but I think he would thank you for remembering him, Bruce. So tell me about the quote. Well, unfortunately, I didn't become aware of Russell Alcoff until I uh, saw his obituary in 2009, and this this quote was in his obituary, and I've just come to love the quote. I think it's because you have to parse all those sort of double negatives, but 
mm-hmm. think there's some strong messages in here for us. Um, I think where he says, you know, uh, a lot of, most of our current problems are the result of policymakers and managers busting a gut to do the wrong thing right. I think we could put, you know, uh, you know, auditors and risk management people in there as well. Um, and not only do we do we have more capability these days, we have the capability to do the wrong things wrong at the speed of light, uh, <laughs> which may not have existed entirely during Russell Acoff's lifetime. But a pet peeve of mine, and let's give you a trivial example, is I've got an SAP iPad that I use in presentations. Um, I was in Nice, France last week doing some presentations, and we have a control on that SAP iPad that we put there ourselves that uh, wasn't didn't come with the computer. It goes basically it turns off, or I have to re-enter the password about every five minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, to me, that's doing the wrong thing wrong, um, and we have the ability to impose these kinds of restrictions on our business in response to somebody's perceived risk. And it may be a trivial example, but I'm wondering how many more fundamental things we're doing wrong at the speed of light uh, in the pursuit of uh, in the pursuit of risk management. Um, so that's that's my that's my explanation for that quote. I'm determined to get things right and to stop doing the wrong things at the speed of light. Bruce, that is not trivial trivial at all. I think you touched a chord, at least with me. I don't know about Elvia, but having devices that go into screensaver or protection or privacy mode too quickly and not be able to override or reset those is a part of our lives that is painful. And it impacts us all today as we're tied to our devices. So I think you brought up a great example. Well, I did promise our IT people, I wrote to them and complained about it. I said, I promise I'll chain it to a brick. Nobody will steal it and I'll chain it to a brick. But that kind of destroys the notion of mobility, but I was willing to sacrifice mobility for continuity in the middle of a presentation, having to put my uh, password in six oh, yeah. times. But anyway, oh, that's yeah. funny. Well, you I have to sometimes. I agree yep. with you guys. I think that one thing that the quote brought to my mind is when I have a conversation and they go, well, if it's not broken, why fix it? So it's that resistance to change, right? So if I'm not mm-hmm. used to thinking of my business in the terms of risk management, um, then I'm not likely to want to change how I view my information. Good, good point. And you know, that it, what you're speaking about, both of you, brings to mind something. I don't remember the first part of the quote, but the second one is something about ask for forgiveness later. If you think something needs to be yeah. done, do it now and ask yeah. for forgiveness. Don't, oh, don't ask for, don't wait for permission. Do it yeah. and ask for forgiveness later. And Bruce, that may go to your comment directly about making mistakes at the speed of light. If people don't realize the risks they're taking when they don't get permission, or let's turn that one inside out and on its head, kids. If asking for permission takes away the proactivity, the proactiveness Elvia mentioned in her opening, and it puts you mm-hmm. at risk because the person who's granting the permission doesn't understand the risk or the urgency, you might just want to go ahead and take the risk of doing it without permission, and hopefully you won't be wrong and need to ask, ask forgiveness later. Did I completely, completely put that one inside out, Bruce? It doesn't uh, no, make I sense. Think it's, it's a good point. I, I just wish I had the ability to change the setting on my iPad, which I don't. I would, I would do it and ask permission later, but it's there and I can't stop. <laughs> Thank you very much. My iPad much. just went out again, so... Oh, my goodness gracious. I, I Listen, I use uh, three computers. LV, you don't know this. I have three computers with four screens, and I use several of them during all of these live radio shows I do for SAP. And my SAP laptop, Bruce, you're going to love this, just keeps going to back to the password, enter password screen. And if I don't sit here while I'm hosting and jiggle that mouse on the desk, it's just going to keep going dark, and I don't want to have to lean over and put in the pass. So I just don't use that one during the show. But everything I have is here now. <laughs> 
<laughs> we have a very important question. Elvia, you're up first, and the important question is, what are you drinking right now during the show? This goes back to the fact that Financial Excellence with Game Changers Radio is part of our bigger show series called Coffee Break with Game Changers. And Elvia, I gave you a heads up when we met on the phone on Friday. So... What are you drinking now that's fascinating, that tells us something wonderful about Elvia Novak? Or what do you wish you were drinking? Or tell us a great beverage story from somewhere around the world. I know you travel. So talk to me, Elvia. Absolutely. So it is not exciting because I right now what's in my cup is actually water. Since it's the middle of the day and right after lunch, you want to hydrate yourself for the rest of the afternoon, right? What I would like to have in my cup right now, it's probably a nice glass of wine, right? Since I'm doing live radio here with you, Bruce and Bonnie. But um, I think from my travels, uh, and I travel significantly in my job, and I traveled before, and I travel for leisure. So you can see there's a tone in there, right? Um, was one of my first trips to Argentina. And I think prior to visiting that country, I probably would not have picked a wine um, from Argentina. And now it's kind of like the first thing I look at a wine menu in the restaurant is I look for all the um, good wines that I had when I was in Argentina to see if I can get them here in the United States. And um, there's one called Trepicho, which is just amazing. I really like that wine. I can drink as much as I want and not have a headache the next day, which is really good for a red wine if you know what I mean. <laughs> oh, yeah. Do you want to spell the name of that, the, the label or the grape? What is it called? Yeah, it's Trepicho, T-R-E-P-I-C-H-O. Um, it's from Argentina, I believe. I don't have the ball in front of me, unfortunately, but I believe it's from the Mendoza region in Argentina. Okay. I'm trying to type it into my iPad so I can save it for tweeting later when it keeps coming out. Traffic high. Okay. <laughs> so, so Bruce, 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 so much for automatic spell check that destroys anything interesting you're trying to type in and just does, well, it couldn't be that. I've never heard of that word. I think Siri's laughing at us in the background. Thank you very much, Elvia. Love the story. And I wish you a wonderful glass of that wine afterwards, after the show. Bruce McQuaig, what are you drinking? Well, Bonnie, I think I'm on the same cup of coffee I was on about three years ago, but I'm enjoying it just as much. <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, I think I mentioned, uh, well, I'll tell you what happened to me. I moved out to the country. My wife and I moved out to the country. I'm, uh, I think, about 50 miles from the closest Starbucks. And uh, if you know Canada, you, you probably heard of Tim Hortons, which is the ubiquitous yeah. coffee chain here. I'm probably about five miles from the closest Tim Hortons. So I'm reduced to making my own coffee. I've got a really neat machine that I, it's proved to be uh, quite a blessing. It's a Seco, I think Phillips makes it, the grinding machine. It's, you can press your, you decide whatever you want to have, and it grinds it and brews it for you on the spot. So I'm a mm. single cup coffee machine with a fairly sophisticated uh, uh, capability. And uh, what I'm looking for is the perfect coffee bean. Right now I'm trying Illy espresso beans. Uh, so mm -hmm. I, I try to, of course, being out in the country, finding different coffee beans is also a challenge, but I'm a uh, Looking for the perfect coffee bean and uh, haven't found it yet. I'm on the uh, using Illy beans right now, which is a European brand that is not too common here, but it's around. I've seen them. I think I've seen Illy here in the U.S. somewhere in my various travels. Uh, what would you compare it to? Is it is it uh, a choice you may have to live with, but you like Bruce, or is there something you'd prefer? Uh, no, I just keep going around until I keep finding one better. I've, I've been working with Lavazza, which is an Italian uh -huh. bean, which is quite nice. Sure. But again, I'm, uh, I have to go just to the big try. city to get these beans, and I don't always get the opportunity. 
Well, come to New York and wave hi. We'll get LV in from yeah. New Jersey, and we'll have a, a coffee clutch, and we'll have a let's talk about what we're drinking party. I just proposed that. Guess uh, we'll what? Stick we're to just wine. A, go for wine. We'll <laughs> okay, I'm with you. One train ride away. I don't have to worry about driving home. Thank you very much. I think for Elvia too. We're talking today about a very important topic. Oh, we're having a good time, but very, very seriously. The topic is message from the board to the CFO. Deliver better risk management data now. And there's a subtext in there. Bruce and I talked about it before the show, Elvio. Should we say or else or should we say now? Well, since the title of the topic becomes the URL for the show, the On Demand podcast, it was getting a little bit long. So we went with now. But let me rephrase that. Board message to CFO. Deliver better risk management data now or else. There, I said it all. We're going to go take a break. And when we come back, Elvia Novak from Deloitte is going to help me open the roundtable we're going to talk about the threat landscape. How has it changed? What is the definition of today's information risk gap? What should the CFO and their entire office be thinking about, looking at? What should be keeping them awake at night? Maybe that's the question of the day. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You're listening to, let's see, Season 4, Episode 7. We are Monday, June 22nd, 2015, in case you're keeping track. And we're live here. It's 1.18 p.m. on the east coast of, Long, of, well, I'm on Long Island, east coast of the U.S. And wherever you're listening, I hope you're going to appreciate some great information here from Elvia Novak, Director, Cyber Risk Services at Deloitte, and Bruce McQuaig, letter, 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 all of his certifications, Director of Solution Marketing for SAP GRC Solutions. We'll be right back after the break. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Michael, out. it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Isn't it time for you to transform your finance organization? SAP is leading the way with groundbreaking technology to help finance professionals transform finance. SAP Simple Finance, powered by SAP, is a part of SAP 4HANA, the next generation business suite. SAP Simple Finance draws upon innovative in-memory, mobile, and cloud technologies to deliver one common secure view of all your information across finance. This gives you instant insight to drive enterprise-wide strategic value. Learn more at www.sap.com forward slash simple dash finance. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Comments? Questions? Send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the show at hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers. Here we are. Welcome back. I'm speaking today with Elvia Novak at Deloitte and Bruce McQuaig at SAP, and I'm still Bonnie D. Graham. And here we go. It's ready for the roundtable time. We are going to have about 30 minutes nonstop. Two panelists, and I know they're up for it because I can tell from the opening, they came to the table ready to play with some really good information for CFOs and boards and CEOs and the entire Office of Finance. So wherever you are, 
this show is for you. Elvia, let's talk about, uh, I'm looking at your notes here, very important, as I mentioned before the break, you say the threat landscape has changed and increased the information risk gap. And then you add in your notes, it moved from silo to integration for both processes and technology. We also have an increased risk of cyber threats, vulnerabilities, and attacks. It sounds pretty scary out there. Elvia, why don't you take us through this, please? Sure. I, I think the, the key message here is that the threat landscape is not what it used to be, right? So in uh, years past, you had different systems connected through a network, and it wasn't necessarily always online real-time, which it is today. The other marketplace shift has been um, the need or the, or the desire for people to penetrate and, and access your information. So you have all these um, targeted attacks to try to get at either personally identifiable information or your credit card information. And so you have a, a huge abundance of people who their sole purpose in life is to get your information. So as the a, as a threat landscape has shifted and you have a lot of information at one single uh, source or single instance, then it becomes important to make sure that you're protecting that data. Then that it's kind of like a catch-22. So if I overprotect my data and I secure it so that uh, you know person A can't see what person B is doing or vice versa, then I've gone to the other extreme and I'm not getting the information that I need to do my job. So you put those two together and you have to say, okay, what is the right level of protection I need to manage the risk of access to my information? So you have to do you have to go through the analysis and, and categorization of your data from a risk point of view, right? So if I'm a consumer products company, I may be concerned of people getting access to my bill of materials or my formulas, whereas if Mm -hmm. I am, you know, uh, media entertainment industry, I'm more concerned about people getting access to the information of how much I pay the um, stars of my shows and, and et cetera. So there's different elements that need to be considered. So I think it's important for organizations, including the CFOs, to really go through that threat assessment and understand their data, the risk associated with that data, to develop the right um, protection for their information. So with the vulnerabilities that exist today, with the fact that people want to get access to your information so they can then either leak it to the press or sell your information or even assume your identity, it becomes extremely important that we have a better handle on what we consider to be risky data, right? So I think it's it's a huge, and it's not an easy thing, right? Because when we talk about risk management, it's extremely broad. Um, So we need to kind of nail it down to what is important to us in our organizations and how do we appropriately protect that so that we do have transparency information that I am able to see all of the elements that I need to do as a CFO that I need to to have access to to be able to do my job effectively. And now the third element that you throw in there is that now we're moving information to the cloud because it is faster, right? Um, We get Mm -hmm. access to information faster. We can store a lot more data if we move it to the cloud. Well, the same same concerns um, exist. How do I protect the data sufficiently but allow access to the data so that we can do our jobs effectively and efficiently and continue to be productive? Thank you, Elvia. You covered so many key points in there. I'm not even going to attempt to dive back in. I want to bring Bruce in, and then I have a question for both of you. Bruce McQuaig, thoughts on everything Elvia introduced? Or anything? Well, no, no. I, I think Elvia <laughs> made some very good points. Um, 
I think it's 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 so difficult to motivate people in the business to to manage their risks uh, and just to make those make those fundamental decisions. Uh, I don't think we have any consistency in methodology. We don't have any consistency in tools. I I think generally people in the business are conscientious and responsible and want to do the right thing, but uh, it seems to be very very difficult to put a you know put any kind of consistent framework around the business of managing risks in a, in a way that um, is comprehensible. But you have to make those trade-offs that LB has suggested. It gets back to my anecdote at the beginning about my iPad going off every five minutes. Somebody thought that that presented a risk and made that decision. It doesn't necessarily fit my set of circumstances, but in theory, I'd like to make that decision. I'd like to say, well, I think this is a valuable information on this iPad and access to SAP systems. I, I'll, I'll protect it the way I think is best with, uh, you know, whatever timeout you know, categories I think are necessary, but it's, it's very complex and very difficult to make that decision. Okay, I'm going to go back to Elvia and ask Bruce for this. I have a question for both of you. Whose job is it? Who should be, as I said in my intro, who should be staying awake at night wondering about defining, assessing what's important in terms of the risk landscape for a particular company in a particular geo, in a particular industry, in a particular world event time frame? So my question for you, Elvia, first is, is it just the CFO, uh, you know, digging his or her nails into a chalkboard and grinding their teeth at night and saying, oh, my God, I have to decide this on their own. Is it decision by committee? Is it done in the C-suite? Is it done with key people in a dark room somewhere in the basement by the office of, of the finance office with a couple of key trusted employees? Who gets saddled with determining the risk assessment, what risks are important or not? Knows who lives with the outcome of those decisions? Elvia and then Bruce? Interesting, Bonnie, because I think everybody in the company is responsible for managing risk, right? We all mm-hmm. own a component of it, and we need to make sure that we're doing what we're supposed to to manage risk for the organization. But when I think about the enterprise risk assessment and I think about enterprise risk management, I do believe that it's going to be a committee because there is not one mm-hmm. owner. And I think this is where we sometimes fall a little short, is yep. um, that we need better or clearer ownership of different aspects of risk, right? Because I don't I, I don't believe, personally, that it is one owner for risk. I mean, I think, you know, you may have a chief risk officer, you may have a CFO, you may have a CISO, you may have a CIO. So you're going to have a lot of C-level executives who each have some component of risk management. And I think getting that all under the same language, the same definitions, the same criteria will allow, to, allow you to better manage risk for the organization. Thank you. Bruce McQuaig, talk to us. Well, I've got some thoughts on that. I, I, I like what Elvia had to say, but let me see if I can um, be precise here or at least uh, relatively articulate. Um, a number of times after I joined SAP, I uh, saw that we were using uh, scenarios to demonstrate our risk management solution uh, that had to do with procure-to-pay, like in other words, looking at risks in the procure-to-pay part of the business. And I came to the conclusion that that's a waste of time. Um, basically, procure-to-pay and many other business processes in most organizations isn't really a risk management problem. It's a control management problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was on the board of an organization, uh, of, uh, a nonprofit organization, put $120 million in revenue, and we had a heck of a time uh, for a period of time managing our payment system. We just couldn't pay the bills and couldn't generate financial statements, and we had people coming to us and saying, well, we'll do risk assessments for you and figure out what the problem is. And 
But the board said, no, we're just going to fire somebody. And we did fire somebody. And in about eight weeks, the problem was solved. I think it's a control management problem, not a risk management problem for a lot of the core business operations that, that we see. I think the kinds of things that really require risk management are the kinds of things that uh, where, where the level of risk is really high and the uh, willingness to accept that risk is really low. And I'm thinking of things like, uh, you know, drilling wells in the Gulf of Mexico and risking the, 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 the risk of a blowout up. You can't let that happen. So for situations that are uh, so ominous that you cannot let that risk occur and you have to predict the risk using key risk indicators and uh, avoid the risk of that occurring in the first place, those are the kinds of things that have to be managed at, at a corporate level. I do agree that it's more than a chief risk officer or a chief compliance officer or a chief financial mm-hmm. officer. There has to be has to be some, you know, some committee leadership. But I think what the world needs is the kind of structure and the kind of framework that, that financial professionals have brought to financial management. If you look at, do a little comparison of financial management versus risk management. In financial management, you've got a set of standards, a set of principles, a well-understood set of capabilities, a reporting framework that everybody expects and knows and understands. You look at risk management and it's all over the map. There isn't any one set of standards. There isn't Mm -hmm. any one set of capabilities. There is no consistent reporting framework. So what I think we need is some better way of deciding where to focus our risk management resources. And I think we need some better way of, you know, introduce the kind of discipline and framework and rational approach that CFOs have developed over the years in, in financial management and apply that, you know, kind of consistency and kind of excellence to, to the risk management business. So I'm partly with Elvia on risk management being important, but I, I think we should really focus risk management on the really critical parts of our business and the really critical risks to those parts of our business. And as much as possible, you know, develop control management techniques for the day-to-day activities. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's uh, where my thinking has evolved to these days. Elvia, Elvia, chime in, please. Yep. Yeah, it does make sense, and I completely agree with you. The the number one concern that I have um, whenever I'm assisting my clients is that everybody defines risk differently, right? So there's the financial Mm -hmm. risk, regulatory risk, operational risk. There's no clear definition, and I think that's where this uh, C-level committee or uh, business committee would come in to classify what are those critical risks, right, for the, for the company, and how do, we, how do we do that? How do we manage risk as an enterprise? I completely agree with you. Thank you very much. Uh, Bruce, I'm, I'm glad you brought up that distinction between risk management and control management. I was looking at ex- that exact place in your notes, and I was going to go there next. Let me just read one statement before we move on. You say, studies show that risk management is ineffective, that stakeholders are unhappy. I mentioned CEOs and boards, stakeholders, a broader look at the constituency uh, who is affected by this, and enterprise risk management is losing ground. So we've covered that. I'm going to go to another part of your notes, Bruce, and let's talk about Risk and failures, and you have some great examples here. You say at least 50 to 60% of risk events are caused by human failure. I'm just going to let it sit there and let you give us some examples, Bruce McQuake. Well, uh, uh, historically, if you look at, I mean, we don't, one of the things we don't do in <clears throat> governance risk and compliance generally, let alone most risk management initiatives, is we don't even track failures or understand root cause analysis. But if you look mm-hmm. at where those things are tracked, and uh, you can go to the aviation web, the website of the Federal Aviation Administration and look at every aviation incident for the last 40 or 50 years and understand exactly what happened and exactly what the root cause was that is decided by the FAA, and 50 to 60% were human failure. In studies I've seen of Sarbanes-Oxley deficiencies, and I participated in one of those studies with the Financial Executives Institute, 50 to 60% human failure. Uh, Sarbanes-Oxley deficiencies aren't caused by 
you know, segregation of duties issues or accounts not being reconciled, they're largely caused by human failure, people not knowing the right thing to do or not caring to do it correctly or being dishonest. And so I don't think we can get to the bottom of uh, risk management unless we take human failure into account and, and, and do the kinds of things that organizations who have really done a good job in risk management have in fact done in terms of making sure people understand what has to be done, making sure people understand why it's important to do it, making sure people understand how it can be done and giving them the capabilities they need and providing continuous monitoring to make sure it's taking place properly. I think from a control management perspective, we've tried to eliminate the human factor with all kinds of computer controls or automated controls. And uh, I think uh, that's a failure. We have to look at people and we have to make sure that you know, people understand how to do their job and are motivated to do so. At, at, you know, one of the things we had here at SAP is we call it the human firewall uh, in terms of data protection when we basically enlist people and train people and consider ourselves the first line of defense against uh, intrusion of that sort. Thank you. It is a people factor. It always comes down to somebody somewhere doing or saying or thinking or not doing or saying or thinking something. Elvia, thoughts on the human factor in risk? Any examples from you? No, I completely agree with that. I think um, that's why when I think about controls and risk, I think about the processes um, and not a separate item, right? So working with uh, companies to define the overall process flow and at what point um, it's important to have a control that mitigates the pre-identified risk. I think that's where creating a risk and control conscience organization um, is where we start to impact the people, right? The people really need to understand their role in the process and how they, they um, help us manage our risk. Thank you. Bruce, I'm going to look at one more of your notes here, and then I'm going to bounce back to some, some of Elvia's, but there's something that caught my attention as well. You say the mantra of risk managers used to be, quote, a risk manager at every desk. And you comment rather boldly, Mr. McQuaig, it was a dumb idea. I hope that was the way you intended me to read it, Bruce. So, Bruce, talk to us. How dumb was it? And is it a thing of the past or is it still around? Are you sure that's not a typo, uh, Bonnie? Oh, I put myself at great risk there, Bruce. I really did. <laughs> no, just back to the point I oh, made damn. Um, <laughs> yes. I don't want. Uh, I don't want. A, I don't want an operating person on the front line of the business managing risk. I mean, obviously, they're they're not stupid people, and and they have to be aware of what can go. But most to to, to it's like driving a car. You get in your car and you drive down the highway. You you don't really most of the time have to do a risk assessment before you get in your car and go on the freeway and go to the grocery store. You can rely on the controls on that vehicle. So my view is one of the jobs of risk management professionals is to automate the control process so that the people who are driving the car in our business, so to speak, don't have to spend a lot of time thinking about risk. They just have to drive that car and be count on, I'm using the metaphor here, obviously, or analogy, just count on the you know, the lights to go on the dashboard, if they're running out of gas, if their tires are low, if they're crossing lanes, if they're going too fast, all these sorts of things. So that's, that's what I call control management. I would say uh, I want a control manager at most desks and a risk manager at a few. That's how I would modify that statement because, frankly, it is not productive for most people to engage extensively in risk management. It should be such a routine task. We should be controlling most of our businesses in a routine way. Thank you. Elvia, thoughts on this? No, I mean, that's, this is where Bruce and I are in complete alignment, and need, it needs to be a part of your overall day-to-day activities and cannot be a separate activity within the organization. 
Thank you very much. And let's see now. I'm going to look back at some of, okay, here's an interesting thought uh, from Elvia Novak's notes. You say the CFO's focus, there are two ways to look at activities. One is strategic, one is operational in terms of risk. Strategic risk, the ability to spot, assess, manage, respond to risks or unforeseen incidents. Operational, identify, assess, mitigate, monitor, control, operational risks like management reporting. What should be top of mind? And, and Elvia and then Bruce, what are the boards complaining about? Is it the lack of strategic operational risk assessment or, op- or strategic or operational or a combination? Where are we today? I'm going to say that it's a combination. I think uh, we tend to focus on those areas that are top of mind. So if I have a problem, I'm probably going to focus on that first. And most of my problems occur at the operational level. I think strategic risk is a little harder to define because back to what Bruce and I were saying earlier, you really need to focus on the things that matter. And getting to that strategic risk element um, is probably going to take a little while. And most companies are still struggling with that aspect. I think operational risk um, or operational activities or tactical activities are a little more tangible. So you can put, um, uh, you can identify your risk, assign a criteria to it, high, medium, or low, and then kind of figure out what's the worst case scenario, right? Should that happen? How do I address it? How do I mitigate it? Or how do I proactively prevent it from happening? So I think the focus I see in most in most of uh, of our comp- uh, companies is that that everybody's focused on the operational and can't quite get to the strategic level because the strategic is going to require more alignment at the enterprise level. Bruce, Bruce. Well, I'm um, and again I'm, I've been doing a lot of thinking about this recently. We're um, kind of developing some new ideas at SAP. I'm at the point where I think the distinction between compliance and operational and strategic risks is irrelevant. I don't think that's a good terminology to use in classifying risks. I'm at the point where I think we should be classifying risks by what's creating the risk, by the driver of the risk. Uh, I'm at the point where I'd rather know if the risk is driven by competition, whether it's driven by uh, human behavior, whether it's driven by uh, technology failure. That's, that's what I want to know. I and mean, if I go to the doctor and I got a sore throat, I don't want the doctor to tell me I've got a sore throat. And I know that. I want the doctor to tell me, is it caused by a virus? Is it caused by bacteria? Is it caused by something else? And what can we do about it? And so I think what I would rather have is some categorization of risks that suggests a solution. And calling a risk an operational risk or a strategic risk or a compliance risk tells me that we really don't understand our risk very well because if we did, we would give a more insightful description than just that. So I'm kind of on the on the extreme edge of, you know, thinking and risk management, because those are very common popular terms and they're built into most frameworks, but I'm wondering if they're not really serving us badly. And I, for one, would like to discard them in some of the approaches we're taking to risk management these days. Hmm. Elvia? Interesting, and I'm not necessarily disagreeing with Bruce because I do believe that you need to get to the risk drivers. I think, unfortunately, most companies are not there. Um, that would be more of the leading edge um, company that has been managing risks for an extended period of time and already has all the processes and, and reporting built into it, right? I think yeah. what I see most commonly is the definitions around strategic operation, strategic operational yeah. regulatory and compliance, which is really you're going to focus on those 
things that are easier to digest. And I think because enterprise mm-hmm. risk is such a broad term, it gets dissected into these specific areas that we're talking about. And to Bruce's point, we may be missing the point because we're not focused on the drivers. Well, I think, and if I can just interject here, Bonnie, yes, I'm not sure please. how the time is going. but um, No, we're good. We're good. Take I, I think one of the sources of frustration that boards have or other people have in, in, in overseeing risk is we don't even suggest to them what they need to do. In other words, if people don't understand what's driving the risk, how can they sit? I mean, if they say we've got a big operational risk, what does that tell them? Uh, unless people understand, unless we provide the overseers of risk with some insight into how the risk can be managed or should be managed, then we're going to cause frustration. And we are causing frustration um, in, in some of our reporting and categorization. I know it's, it's a big shift. Getting, I wouldn't necessarily completely discard the notion of strategic operational compliance, financial, those sorts of things, but I, I think we need to provide more than that. And we need to provide a way of reporting and describing risks in, in, in a way that lends itself to oversight and lends itself to a range of solutions. I mean, the way I would manage competition risk and the way I would manage, you know, cyber security are completely different and knowing the drivers of the risk make it easier to make those distinctions. Thank you both. I have a question to interject for first Elvia and then Bruce. There's a book out called Fail Fast, Fail Off and How Losing Can Help You Win. And in many of the business topics I cover on several of our other, well, we have a, currently 11 SAP Game Changers radio series, not shows, but series sharing five hours of, of uh, time a week. And we very often talk when we come to things like design thinking and about business startups and about launching a business and getting to that right idea that's going to grab your industry and your marketplace. And they're going to say, wow. But if you don't get in it, get investors fail fast, fail often. But we're talking about risk management here at a much higher level, presumably in an established enterprise environment. So Elvia, is this something that you wouldn't dare mention around a CFO, fail fast, fail often when it comes to risk? Is this the the no-no to say in that office at this time in in, uh, history? Yeah, failing fast. Um, it, it's going to depend on how quickly I can recover from the failure, right? And what what mm-hmm. I'm failing at. Um, I I think that'd be a risky conversation for me right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, it just came to mind because everybody's saying, yeah, the way you get to really have a new business, you got to fail fast. You know, you pull back and say, well, that one didn't work. We've got five more in the hopper. Let's see what we can do now. Bruce, any thoughts? Are we failing fast, failing third, often? Or? I would add a third line there to rather than just fail fast and fail often. I would say fail small. And yeah. fail fast and smell often because uh, I'm with Elvia. You don't want to fail big. I, I think the it's, I'm back to you were back here to Russell Acoff in terms of, you know, uh-huh. uh, do, doing the wrong thing right or doing the right thing wrong in, in my mind. But um, testing your theory, getting out there, testing them, that's great. Uh, but don't fail big. Um, okay, good. Would be my, good advice. My if addition. we wanted yeah. good takeaways, that's what's what. Glad I made you smile. It just dawned on me that everybody's saying fail fast, fall off. Well, I don't think in this this circumstance. Elvia, yeah. let's talk about the art of the possible finance transformation and integrated capabilities. We talk very often on this series, as Bruce knows. Uh, we speak very often about finance transformation. Finance is no longer just the steward of the books and the keeper of the reports and the the. Uh, the keeper of the what what used to be those uh, daunting and revered spreadsheets. No more, no more, no more. So this is transformation process happening in the office of the finance. How does the art of possible come into play in our conversation about risk management, control management? I'll extend it to Bruce's terms. Elvia, what's your overview here? 
So the way I looked at this one, the art of the possible, finance transformation and integrated capabilities, right, integration being uh, a key word here and making sure that I have access to information. I think we get um, what I typically like to call analysis paralysis. We get so bombarded with trying to get down to the root cause of something that we spin our wheels trying to analyze the problem. And if we take a step back, maybe simplify, right, we might get a better understanding of what caused the issue, which would allow us then to strengthen the control management that Bruce um, was speaking about to make sure that I can prevent it from happening again in the future. I think finance has has to continue to transform to become um, faster, reliable, less errors, et cetera, and managing risk overall for the office of the CFO. But I think they can't do it um, without having the enabling technology to support it. I do not think that you can manage an organization successfully through the use of, you know, a gazillion number of spreadsheets. I do think Mm -hmm. that it's important to have that integrated dashboard that allows you access to the information that you need to do your your job effectively. Thank you, Bruce. The art of the possible. What's your POV? Well, I think um, I, I think basically what I've seen, and I've been had this belief reinforced in, in the last seven days, and even in the last you know six hours, based on some new survey results I've seen, based on commissions survey we, we've uh, surveys we've commissioned. Um, the vast majority of risk management professionals are very, very immature. Um, there are huge numbers of brand name companies who are just thinking about evolving off of spreadsheets into some kind of technology. And I'm sure there's a good many who aren't even at the spreadsheet level. So the take up of technology, even the most rudimentary technology in, in, across the GRC space, but certainly with risk management in many, in many cases is, is pretty low level. And um, I, I think the art of the possible is to leapfrog from, you know, spreadsheet technologies uh, that were maybe uh, suitable a number of years ago into something more, much more uh, appropriate at the enterprise level. Uh, and I think that's what we're going to see happen uh, in the very near future. I, I sense and have some survey data support. There's a huge momentum building that will perhaps lead, uh, at least leading edge companies to make a huge jump from uh, relatively primitive technology to something a little more sophisticated. And I thought I was being facetious when I mentioned the daunted and daunting and rev- I think I said revered spreadsheets. I I thought I was uh, coming at this from a, a point of antiquity and naivete. Oh, I use those French words so well. Anyway, Bruce, while you're on that topic, I have a question and then I'm going to go back to something from Elvia. Let's see. We have 11 minutes left till the end. I'm going to save about two minutes for each of you for your predictions in the crystal ball segment at the end of the show. So we're not quite there yet. Bruce, you say one missing ingredient from most risk management practices is a clear link to business outcomes. So in the context of our discussion a moment ago about the art of the possible, would more be possible in terms of clearer, more proactive, more strategically honed and reliable risk assessments if the CFO in the Office of the Finance had a clear link to business outcomes? Is this the missing link? I think it is the missing link. Um, I know that I, I one of the, one of the things I do in my job is uh, I deal extensively with the analyst community in the software business. And the analyst community is telling us that we should integrate our software with performance management software, which we also have and other companies have as well. And interestingly, our organization has been combined with the enterprise performance management group, and so we're we're part of that group now from a marketing perspective. When I look at RFPs and what customers want, they don't care. 
very, very rarely have we seen customers ask for integration between any of our solutions on the GRC side, let alone risk management and business performance. And I think it's a fatal flaw. Um, I was involved in running an enterprise risk management program for uh, a company I worked with at the time several years ago. Um, and we tied it exclusively to business performance. In fact, we had quarterly compensation based on success in enterprise risk management. You had to explain your process performance and deviations from the pro- processes you were responsible for in terms of the risks that you hadn't anticipated or risks you or, or controls that weren't working. So everything you did in terms of your business process, you had to understand and, and reconcile back, back to business risk and, and control effectiveness. And it was quite effective. Um, People found it easy to assess risks. The critical part of it, though, is we had to focus on the critical activities. We didn't, we couldn't get people interested in trivial things. So, for the most important things that our business was responsible for, and for the most senior managers in that business, we focused on critical risks, the critical activities, and critical controls that were critical mitigation for those critical risks. And we updated that every quarter uh, based on performance, and it and it worked quite well. Uh, but for the most part, I do not see. Uh, risk professionals, control professionals, or anybody in the GRC space making any real link back to business mm-hmm. performance at all. And uh, I think that's absolutely essential. Elvia, agree, disagree? Thoughts? No, I agree. And I think one of my more successful GRC um, solutions has been where it was a, a transformation project. It was not an implementation of a solution. It was looking at the business processes, the drivers, and making sure that we were appropriately defining risk um, that, so, that, so that we can measure it for the organization. Thank you. I'll give you an example. And yeah. I this is kind of an upper instance example, but I had an airline customer years ago in another life where they had an objective of, uh, of they wanted their flight, 80, they wanted 80% of their flights to arrive within 15 minutes of scheduled arrival time. That was their objective. And when you set out to do a risk assessment on that objective, you can get quite specific. If you said, well, what's the risk to an airline? You get kind of fuzzy stuff. But if you said, okay, uh, we want to understand what can prevent the airline from achieving this goal of 80% of the flights arriving within 15 minutes of scheduled arrival time, you can get quite specific and quite granular, and you can really help them understand their business and manage to that objective. And unless you have an objective that is clear and, and definable and measurable, I don't think you can get clear, definable, measurable risk information. And if you can't get that, you're going to frustrate people, which we are doing. And that's what we're trying to get rid of is that frustration and get into a more proactive and, uh, yes, risk-averse and risk-smart mode here. Mm-hmm. Bruce and Elvia, uh, I have a couple of more notes here from Elvia I want to cover before we go. Let's see, in two minutes, we will start our recap and our crystal ball prediction segment. Elvia, a couple of notes here from what you sent me. Very interesting, and I think these are key to getting things done. You say, we need to limit the information we voluntarily make available. Is this a lesson in life or is this just for companies with assets they need protected? Whose assets are we talking about here, Elvie? It sounds like a big statement to me. Yeah, I, I think we, so as the landscape has changed, we're dealing more and more with third parties, right? They need access to our information to do their jobs or perform their services for us. So it's that risk reward that we talked about a little earlier that we need to restrict or protect the data, but not to the, to, to the, 
sorry, to the extent that we cannot do our jobs or that we're preventing operations from effectively uh, producing the outcome that we desire, right? So I think um, from that perspective, I think it becomes extremely, extremely important um, that we do that. Okay. Bruce, thoughts on that? Um, I tend to agree with Elviet. Uh, um, I think it's critical to take that kind of perspective. Uh, again, I don't have the solution, but I think it's, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, directionally where we ought to go. Okay, good. And now you two have grace, gracefully landed us at the precipice of getting ready for our prediction segment here. So, Elvia Novak, I'm going to go back to you and ask you, I love the year 2020. You may or may not in terms of predictions, but how far into the future can you see in the crystal ball? I know you polished it off for us before the show, Elvia. You promised me that. And the question is, what do you see would be different about this conversation if we met at that time in future? It could be tomorrow. It could be three hours from now. It could be five or 10 years, and the topic, of course, is board message to CFO, deliver better risk management data now or else. Is that message going to change? Elvia, how far in the future? I'm going to give you exactly two minutes for predictions. Go. All right. So my 2020 vision, we are delivering better data on time, real time, and as we need it. I think risk management is embedded into our business processes, normal course of business. It is not a separate department or a separate group, um, and that we have simplified reporting. I want to be able to get the information that I need, but I also want to be able to dissect the information to get to what I want to see specifically. I want to see different aspects of the information that is addressing how I manage risk for my company. So I think in that scenario, my 2020. Um, I'm getting all that. I have a dashboard. It's not a heat map. It is an actual mm-hmm. dashboard that allows me to drill down to what's important as a, if I'm a CFO, how I'm running my financial operations, what my financials look like. If I'm a chief risk officer, it's giving me the risk data, but we're all looking at the same information, just having the ability to have it simplified, integrated, and dissectable. Elvia, define heat map for me in this context. I heard it. I know it was in Bruce's notes. We didn't get to it. But what does it mean relative to our talk about risk management? Well, we, we you know, in, in our course of business, we see a lot of heat maps, just high, medium, low, green, yellow, red. And that's uh-huh. how we kind of classify things. And I, And that's great. You can have a heat map, but there's nothing behind it. Usually the substance or the detail is missing. So what I'm saying is we want the information available to us when we need it, as we need it, and be able to use it as we need it, which I think is the direction that we want to go in. (laughs) I certainly hope so. Thank you. As a friend of mine would have said, we certainly hope so. Okay, maybe that's Groucho. I did not know him, I promise. Bruce McQuaig, how far in the future are you going to predict? And let's hear what I can give you the same exactly two minutes. Bruce McQuaig, go. Okay, let me, let me give you a crystal ball view then. I, I think today when we look at risk management particularly, we're, we're um, you know, spending some time identifying what the risk could be. We're spending some time saying, well, if it happened, how bad would it be and how often would it happen? And then what might we do to mitigate it? And coming up with all kinds of essentially subjective guesses about r- what risks exist and, and how, how they could be managed. In the future, I've got this hypothesis that basically says we don't need to do that anymore down the road and we can use technology and, and analytics capabilities that we didn't have before. And my hypothesis is that virtually everything we need to know about risk is someplace in a system in, 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 that we have accessible to us right now or someplace externally that we can find out. We should be able to know right now what customers are thinking about us. We should be able to know right now what competitors are doing, what products they're putting on the market. We should be able to know right now what the 
incidents and issues are within our organization and how well controls are working. We're just mining that data that exists internally. And so the future, I think, is to completely turn risk management upside down uh, and stop spending time guessing about what the risk might be, but doing fact-based searches and fact-based analysis of external data sources, relationships, uh, you know, external, you know, market information, uh, searching our data internally to understand, uh, you know, the inventory shortage we've got, the production problems we're having, uh, all these sorts of things, but just gathering information and defining defining what we think we need to see in terms of risk data and, and mining it right now so that we'll basically be able to produce all the information we need. I would say the vast majority of the information we need to know about risk internally uh, using analytics capabilities and perhaps some predictive capabilities as well. So I see the future changing quite a bit from where we are now, which in a lot of cases is a pretty primitive state, into the role of risk managers will be data scientists, creating these uh-huh. dashboards and defining the rule sets. That's, that's what I'd like to see down the road. Thank you. Bonus question, yes or no, to each of you. Elvio, will all of this exciting new risk management opportunity in the new analytics and dashboards, will these draw millennials into the Office of Finance and the CFO title down the road, yes or no? Yes. Bruce? Absolutely. That's the people okay. that are going to make the change. Absolutely. is a long way of saying yes. Guess what? This has been a very, very lively conversation. I can't thank the two of you enough. Elvia Novak at Deloitte, thank you for coming in, stepping up, joining us, sending us all of your wonderful notes. The same for you, Bruce McQuaig. Come back anytime. Bruce, you got to get Elvia back. This is too good a conversation. Absolutely. We, no, need, I, I, we need I, a part two. Great. Thanks a lot. We need... We need a part two. Thank you both. And I can predict that this week we'll have a live edition of Digital World with Game Changers, one with Industry Cloud Trends with Game Changers, Coffee Break with Game Changers, and Meet the Visionary Game Changers, a packed week for live Game Changers radio. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I'm going to go get ready for tomorrow's shows. We have two shows, 10 a.m. Eastern and 12 noon. It's a busy day. So here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Thank you to Michael and the Business Channel team at World Talk Radio. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you run simple. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to hashtag SAPRADIO. And join host Bonnie D. Graham next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, here on the Business Channel, wishing you a game-changing week. 